Hey, this is Scotty Vermillion. I want to thank you for tuning in to the Daniel Boone podcast today. We would like to invite you to worship with us at Daniel Boone Baptist Church in Gate City, Virginia on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock. Or you can join us on Facebook for live sermons and daily interactions that will keep you in touch with God and in step with His kingdom. One of my favorite scriptures... I'm going to read verses 1 and 2. I'm going to talk about verses 1 and 2 just a little bit. And after we've talked about verses 1 and 2, then I'm going to, uh, I hope in a very good way, in a way that's led by the Holy Spirit, get personal. Because I do believe this. I believe that there might not be anything more important after salvation than what we're going to talk about this morning. And it's not because I'm here and I'm the one to talk about it. That's not what makes it it's important. The thing that makes it important, important is that once we are saved, we are wonderfully, marvelously, and just gloriously saved. Nothing can change that. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that the same God that calls us keeps us. And I believe that if we are truly saved and we are called unto Him, that our... our uh, inheritance is immediately heaven, and we can rest in that, and we can know that. But how many besides me this morning would recognize that even though my spirit, spirit, soul, and body man is, even though my spirit is completely and wonderfully and marvelously saved, my mind has to catch up, doesn't it? And all of us in here, and we could give testimony after testimony after testimony, would... Um, just give credence to the fact that the battle is in the realm of the mind. It has been settled spiritually. When Jesus said it is finished, that's exactly what he meant. It is finished. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is finished. But the mind has to be renewed. And all of us have this battle that's going on in our mind. I have a new job right now. And in my new job, because this is my propensity anyway, but in my new job, I've, I've come together with six other colleagues because we all are responsible for a region. They have been doing it much longer than I have, better at it than I am. They know much more about it than I do. And so every time we get in a meeting, how do you think I feel? I feel inferior. That's exactly right. And so I've already got this imposter syndrome, as they say, that's going on. And in this feeling of inferiority, I now have something that's taking place in my mind that I've got to know how to deal with. I don't need to be better than anybody. I don't need to be as good as you or almost as good as you. That's not my point. But I don't need to go through life feeling like that I am inferior and feeling like that I have nothing to bring to the table. Would you agree? And so this inferiority, this imposter syndrome needs to go. Why do I say that this morning? Because I'm not just preaching a message at you. I'm living a message with you. And there's a whole lot of difference in those two things. So I share this morning out of this place of empathy. Reading Romans 12, 1 and 2. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is acceptable, and what is perfect. Now, any time in Scripture that you see a therefore, we need to see what it's there for, right? And there's probably not any therefore that's in Scripture that's any more significant than the therefore that's in this Scripture because it is written here by Paul to the saints who are in Rome, I appeal to you therefore. Why? Why is Paul appealing? Because these people would have had a tendency to try to live by the law again. They would have tendency to try to work their salvation out for themselves by keeping something, doing something, keeping themselves in favor with God because of something they kept. Does that sound familiar? I can gravitate back to that in a New York minute where I feel like God loves me. No, He doesn't. I've done something wrong. He must be mad at me. So now I'm living out of this place called the law and I'm vacillating back and forth between this whole thing of grace has come, but now I feel like really and truly I need to earn it. Now, I don't want you to hear license here because we need to, with the help of the Holy Spirit, walk by the Spirit and feel all righteousness but at the same time we're going to make mistakes right so paul is saying i appeal to you therefore now here's the therefore back in romans 10 4 you don't need to turn there romans 10 10 i looked back and i said okay help me god find what where this therefore goes to and romans 10 4 says this for christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. In other words, the law is longer your righteousness, folks, is what Paul's saying. Why? Because Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. Well, how can that be? Well, Romans 10.10, For with the heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. The reason that Christ is the end of the law regarding righteousness is because he who knew no sin became sin on the cross, was crucified, was the Father was pleased to strike him, Scripture says, and so he who knew no sin became sin. Why? So that I can become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. How good of news is that? Absolute wonderful news. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's not bragging, although it is. It's bragging in Jesus. It's not being presumptuous. You are, I am, we are, according to Scripture, saints of God. Now my rendition then with that being true would be this. True and proper worship, not something we just do at church, is to present ourselves, come before God and present ourselves as living sacrifices. Now the audience of that time would have known exactly what Paul was talking about because they would have been used to seeing sacrifices brought 
forth to the altar these things that were living, whether they were lambs or goats or pigeons or whatever they were, they would come and they would bring these offerings and then the, the priest would slay them on the altar. And their blood would be spilt and the life would flow out of them. And they would get up from there. And, I mean, they wouldn't get up from there. They would be as dead as a doornail. Those sacrifices would. Because life is in the blood. And Scripture says without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So Jesus goes as the ultimate sacrifice. He is the one who is the last sacrifice to happen his, he gives of Himself. He is pierced. He is killed. He is crucified. And the blood flows from Him. And the life is in the blood. And Jesus was crucified according to the creed, dead and buried. That sacrifice, one for all forever. To as many as would call upon His name, they would be saved. And so we with the, the now now we go to an altar. I remember one time Marcia came to the altar, my wife, at the church that I was pastoring here. And I think she came more than once, but this was a particular morning. She came to the altar, and some very sweet ladies uh, asked me after it was over with, they said, Is Marcia okay? And I said, Yeah, Marcia's never been better. Why? They said, well, she was up at the altar this morning, and we just want to make sure she's okay. The altar is an okay place, isn't it? <laughs> and there doesn't have to be something wrong to come to the altar. Now, I'm not trying to coax you to the altar, but I think the altar has suffered some misunderstanding through the years. That if somebody comes to the altar, that something's wrong. But see, we come to the altar, and I would suggest that we begin the altar, and not only do we come to it at church, but we have altars in our home. And not only do we have altars in our home, but we have altars all throughout the day that might even be in car. Please don't bow your eyes while you're driving, okay? But we come to God on an ongoing basis because Jesus was sacrificed on the altar of sacrifice so that we can come and find grace in our time of need. So what makes us a living sacrifice? We come to the altar, but we get back up. Why do we get back up? Because there was one who came to the altar that said, I'm dying once for everybody. And so this altar of presentation, this altar of sacrifice is something that they would have been familiar with. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, yet I live. It's no longer I who live, but it's the Lord who lives in me. That's how we live, through the Lord who lives in us. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. He is my source. The one who loved me and gave himself for me. God is consistently and constantly with us and wants to express himself through us and wants us to be able to do things that are exceedingly beyond what we can think we can do because he is actually the one who's working through us. Do you ever feel in your job as a parent, as a husband, as a wife, whatever the case may be, do you ever feel that you're in over your head? Yes! Yes! 
But that's not a bad place to be because somebody said that what's over our head is under God's feet. And so we are the people who live out of this grace that flows from us. And faithful is he who has called us, Scripture said, who also shall do it. And there's somebody under the sound of my voice this morning that is being invited into something and you wondering if you can do that. And the Lord wants to say that if I've called you to it, you can be sure you can do it. And I will never leave you or forsake you. Some things we step into in fear and trembling. And then we find the Lord meet us there and do what only He can do. So we need to come to these altars of sacrifice knowing that we're going to get up as living people, going out and expressing the love of God. But we come to a throne of grace that we might find help in time of need. Amen? The Lord is our helper. Let's go to verse 2 now. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, that which is good, acceptable, and perfect. Do not be conformed. Do not be pressed in to this world, but be transformed. Transformed there is the same word that we get metamorphosis from. It's like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. Become something completely and utterly different. And how do we do that? By the renewing of our mind. So here's what's the implication. The implication is that if we are saved on our way to heaven, know that we are eternally secure if nothing ever happens in the realm of our mind, then we're not going to be different as Christians other than the fact that we are going to be eternally secure and on our way. But we want to be different, don't we, folks? We want to be salt and light in the midst of a wicked and a perverse generation. We want to be we want to see a metamorphosis go on, and that's why we need, by God's grace, to understand the battle of the mind. What is the battle? It's being conformed to the world. What is the world? It's not a place, or at least it's not just a place. Somebody this morning might say, I've traveled all over the world, but you're talking geography. But what this is talking about here is not just geography. We're not to be conformed to the world as a system. The world is a system. It says all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, those are not of God. But we're deep in that system, aren't we? I'm deep in the system of the pride of life, of the different things that try to, to snare me and to hold me. So I have to recognize where I am so I can fight the battle while I'm there so I can get to where God wants me to be so I can live in the Spirit and find peace and joy. It's not just a place, it's a system. We've changed residences, spiritually speaking. We've been called out of darkness into life. Out of death into life. Out of confusion into understanding. I believe that as Christian people, we should 
understanding life more and more, not less and less. But we understand life through the grid of God's grace and God's Spirit. Listen to this, and I just kind of going to deposit this and move on. But in a 2017 um, publication of Barna Research, Barna said that 91% of confessing Christians lack a biblical worldview. In other words, only 9% of Christians view the world from the grid of what the Bible teaches. The other 91% see the world just like the world sees the world. And so what's my point? My point is that we need to study to show ourselves approved workmen that need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, not in order to become saved because we are already wonderfully and marvelously saved, but so that our minds might be renewed and we can know what the will of God is. So be beavers in the Word. Be beavers in the Word so that when you see snake oil, you recognize it. And I recognize it. Because Jesus said, you shall know the what? Truth. And the truth shall set you free. God's holy and acceptable children you come to an altar holy and blameless and forgiven and made righteous and without an ounce of condemnation. When we sin or we miss the mark, we come and we confess that because we are drawn there to present ourselves sacrificially to God because we are no longer our own. And then as a living sacrifice, we see mind renewal come to us and an escape from being conformed to the world's system. Now I want to ask you a question, and you judge this, okay? Because I'm about done. I want to make sure I ask this correctly. The same God who saves us spiritually, we came, we, we said, Lord, come. I, I've come asking you to save me. I understand that there's no saved would you think that that same god after we are saved wants to on a daily basis be invited into the realm of our mind to where we say on a daily basis lord i'm getting ready to walk out in this world I want to see things as you see them. I want to know the truth, and I want the truth to set me free. So as I go out into this world, God, I'm asking you to come and, I'm, and, and impact my mind in such a way that I see clearly. And so just as we invite Jesus into our heart to save us so that we live eternally with Him, on an ongoing basis, I believe daily, moment by moment by moment, we invite God into our minds so that our minds can be renewed. We have put Scripture into our heart. It bubbles up out of our heart. We remember it in our minds. And now all of a sudden, when we're walking in the midst of confusion, According to Scripture, in the, in the midst of a wicked and perverse generation, we can see the truth and we know what's going on. And so we invite moment by moment God 
end to our minds for this thing of transformation. Okay, I promised I was going to get personal, so here I go. All right. So I just want to ask some questions, questions that come to me before I bring them to you, not questions for condemnation, but questions for reflection. How long has your mind been your own private fortress? A place that you've got something that is stuck there and there is no transforming entrance that has taken place to come in and to, and to in any way challenge that. And then day after day, week after week, month after month, you begin to think about this thing over and over again. And let me that thought has become your friend. Now, is that not what unforgiveness is all about? I mean, we can tag other things to it for sure. But unforgiveness is, comes up to me just kind of like as an obvious one. That somebody did something to me sometime, and I decided who they were whenever they did it, and I have got that thought in my mind, and it's been years and years and years and years, or weeks and weeks and weeks, or even days and days and days, and that, mind is, that thought is gaining energy after energy after energy. And it is causing me to absolutely enjoy where I'm. You know, somebody said that unforgiveness is like drinking poison, expecting somebody else to die. And so we've got to, according to Scripture, bring that thought captive, invite Jesus to it, and say, Jesus, change my mind. And that, by definition, is what repentance is. We think of repentance as coming to an altar very emotionally, crying and weeping and broken and all of that, and that is repentance. But there's more to repentance. Repentance is also just changing our mind. The old guy said, if I'm walking down the wrong road, I need to do a 180 and go back in a new direction. That's what repentance is. Tony Evans says, we get off the interstate, we go across the bridge, we get on the entrance ramp, and we go in a new direction. So let's bring that thought captive and say, more. Not anymore at all. Okay? That would be unforgiveness, or that would be that nagging thought that causes us to have a relational issue. What about fear? Has there ever been a time that fear has gotten stuck in your mind, and as a result of that, it has gained momentum and energy and all of that? And the Lord is saying, you know, I'd like for you to give, give me that. Invite me in. Let me work in your life regarding that. When I was a little boy, I knew I had a fear of public speaking. I knew that better than any other time one time when I knew that he had to preside over this yearly meeting at Mason and Dixon for the credit union thing. And I remember hearing Dad to my mom in a side room saying, Joyce, I am so nervous about doing this. He said, I would, I would welcome a light heart attack today just so I could get out of that. Now, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but this is the truth. As a boy, with a call on his life, didn't know any of that yet. The devil said, hey, I'm going to lodge that. That's mine. 
And he lodged that in my mind, and I was absolutely horrified to speak in front of people. When I was an assistant coach at Daniel Boone High School for the JV, I literally begged the varsity coach to introduce my team on Booster's Night. Tension, headaches, thinking about just calling their name out to a group of people. And see, I'm not trying to be dramatic, but what I am saying is there was an attempt to steal a destiny. Came place. So I go to a college coaching job, and just by virtue of the position, somebody asked me to come and speak at an athletic banquet. All these years, I'd still dodge speaking every time I could. And you know, it's four months away, so you say yes, right? Because then, then you go, come Lord Jesus. <laughs> so I said yes. And the day would get closer, and the day would get closer, and I'm horrified. And I can remember being in Gaffney, South Carolina, a week before I was to speak. And I was on the recruiting, I was out recruiting. And I got before a mirror, and I said, God, I don't think I can do this. And I heard this as plain as I've ever heard anything in my life. You can't, but I can. Now you have the faith and trust in me to stand up in front of those people, and I'll meet you there. How many know that's faith? And it's a big price, isn't it? It's a big price. So I go to the athletic banquet, and they have the audacity to feed me food. So the head table, and I'm trying to eat, you know, and every bite I'm chewing, the more I chew it, the bigger it gets and all of that. And then they said, made the introduction, and so I stand up to speak, and this is the truth. I thought I was going to pass out before I got to the lectern. And when I get to the lectern, poof, God's peace. I don't know what I said. Don't know how good it was. Don't expect it was very good. But I do know this. God won a victory that day. And so I had all of those years had that thought, and that thought had become my friend. Here's my question this morning. Do you have a fearful thought that somehow has become your friend? God says, I want that today because it's limiting you. And I love you so much and you're my kid and I don't want you to be limited. And we're trapped in these fears. Isn't it interesting that Jesus said to the, to the, person, to the, to the man at Bethesda trying to get in the pool, He said to him, He said, do you want to be well? Have you gotten so used to being like you are that you're really more comfortable to stay there? Do you really want to be well? Because if you do, here's my hand. Come on, let's go. And we've got really to want that. And if any of that at all brings you into any place of condemnation, hear the rest of the message. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I believe this. The first primary tactic of the adversary is to keep us from being saved. And then once we become saved, his next attack is to keep us miserable and unfruitful. And the Lord says, no, not my kids. I'm telling you, Pharaoh, let my children go. And he does.
I'm going to end with Psalm 24. This is where I end, I promise. And I'm going to take a liberty with this psalm, admittedly, but I want you just to get the visual with me, if you will, and then I'll be done, okay? Psalm 24, 7 to 10. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Most, most commentators believe that that is a psalm that was sung whenever the Ark of the Covenant was being brought into Jerusalem. And they would sing that because it was the presence of God and it would be sung out to Jerusalem. Oh, lift up your heads, you ancient gates. Here comes the King of glory. Let the King of glory come in. I've even seen one where it says that that was Jesus' re-entry to heaven after the resurrection, where Jesus raises from the dead, you know, and then He is ascended into heaven, and heaven is waiting on Jesus' re-entry into, into heaven itself. And it's lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Well, here's where I want to take liberty. Has there been any ancient doors to your mind because there certainly was to mine and in a New York minute there can be again and I just want to end by saying this the Lord is saying hey lift up those gates and tear forth those ancient doors that the king of glory may come in because the same God who saves us keeps us and the God who saves us and keeps us wants us to be free in the realm of our mind. Remember this morning, this is a throne of grace. So if, and the invitation always is, if you have not made Jesus your Savior, then I would invite you to a throne of grace to experience Him as your Savior and to enter into that walk with Him as your Lord. But you may also want to come to an altar this morning or may want me to pray with you, no pressure on anybody at all, just to say, hey, I want to win this battle of my mind. And I know that if God be for me, who can be against me? So I invite you to come. And we promise you we won't say, what was wrong with Marcia this morning? Okay, let's pray. Go song. Okay. Father, we just thank you for your presence and we give you praise for who you are and even as we dismiss here in a minute lord i just pray god that you would just have some linger if they're supposed to and we would be able to pray together over something that they're standing for in their life where they need to make a larger step into seeing you intervene so that they can walk free we're all works in process, God, and you're so patient with us, and we're so grateful for that. So arise in our lives this morning and let every enemy be scattered. In Jesus' name, amen.